It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. from the PhD podcast, the only place where you would hear interviews from Black women anonymously on stories that would enlighten and expand on taboo topics. Now, if you hear someone that sounds familiar, mind the business that pays you, child. If you like the PhD podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please, five-star reviews only. Hold me down, don't hold me up. Merch is now available on the site as well as my book list, so please make sure you visit the link in the show notes below. You can connect with the kid on Instagram at the professional homegirl and at the PhD podcast. If you are on Twitter, please follow me at the PhD podcast. Now, if you are all caught up with episodes, listen to the bonus episodes by supporting the PhD podcast Patreon account. To support, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash the PhD podcast. Now, please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous. So let's begin this week's episode. So it is such an honor to have my guest on the show today. She is an author. We are rooting for New York Times bestseller list, activist, world-renowned speaker, and the daughter of Eric Garner. My guest is here today to discuss her book, Finding My Voice on Grieving My Father, Eric Garner, and Pushing for Justice. So to my guest, thank you so much for being a part of the show. How was your day? I'm kind of toning down now. Um, you know, it's, it's been crazy with the book release, but I'm really happy um, that people are receiving it and, you know, reading it and are interested in, you know, my story. <laughs> yeah, you've been hustling. I was like, she's doing something every night. <laughs> yes, it's been it's been every day. And I, t- I told the people, it's like, listen, you know, I got kids at home. So, you know, I got to cook the dinner. I got to get ready for bed. got to do the homework. So 
we got to chill. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, every day you're doing something. <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations on your book. I read your book um, on my flight back home and it was definitely emotional, but inspiring. So what inspired you to share your journey now? Um, I think all the misconception in the media um, it's, it's, it really starts to get frustrating. Um, and I was like, you know what, what's, what's a better way to, um, get my story out there? You know, I don't have no budget for no production and podcast. I mean, um, documentary or movie or anything like that. So I was like, let's, let's write a book. <laughs> was it triggering for you to write the book? Super triggering. It was very triggering. Um, it pulled back a lot of layers, um, that I kind of wasn't ready for. But um, we worked through it. I was really glad to have my co-authors, uh, people who understand me, people who know, they've seen the journey. Um, they can understand when something's a little triggering. You know, we were able to stop and then pick it up, you know, another day and stuff like that. It was it was super easy to work with them. And I also like how you was um, you shared your platform, which I'm pretty sure people who are um, unfortunately been members of this movement, but you share your platform with other v- survivors who lost their loved ones to police brutality. I think that was very, like, that was very hard to read. Yes, it was. um, It's something that I was like, you know, we did the podcast. uh, We did really like three episodes. I mean, because I was like, I want to have a podcast, but I don't want to talk about the story of, you know, what happened. We know what happened. Like that that part of the story is true, but you guys don't know what happens after the cameras go away. And, you know, what to see what was going on and nobody's talking about it and nobody's addressing these things. And then we see what happened with my sister. I was like, no, this this absolutely cannot keep happening because we're losing people at a rapid rate due to police brutality. And, you know, it's the, the long-term effects of it. Right. And you also brought up a good point in your book on how people often forget about the children doing the uphill battle for justice. Why do you think people forget about the kids? Um, I think that they forget about whoever's not on the face of the right. kids. Whoever is not in the media, whoever is not at everything, whoever is not at every protest or um, whoever's attending. And it's like, you know, I had to let people know that for me, I have my daughter at home, so I can't be everywhere and everything. I still have to do pick up, drop off, parent-teacher conference. I have to do all these things, uh, plus have a full-time job and still try to be an activist when, you know, I didn't I didn't want to be an activist. Right. And, um, you know, having to do all of these things, like, it, it, it was a lot. So, you know, just pointing out the fact that, you know, we have other needs and it's not just a need to be on TV or a need to be um, at every press conference because we can't. Like right. who's paying for the childcare for that? Who's picking them up? Who's picking them to school? Who's um, doing laundry and, you know, doing schoolwork and doing all that stuff? Who's doing that? Nobody's right. doing it. So it falls on me. So on top of everything that I have to take care of, that's just another thing to be added to my plate. And I think sometimes people forget, like, this is your life and we're just watching it like it affects all of us but I think people expect so much out of people who are um people who are survivors of this but people forget like yo this is my father or this is my husband or this is my child like people um people react to things differently yes absolutely and um it was just super unfortunate like as I watch things go on mm-hmm. and talk to other people who have been in in this situation longer than me um so I was just like, no, like this is this is just not good. Like, are you okay? And it'll be like, oh, I'm I'm fighting for justice. That gives me the power. But this is like when the cameras go away, are you really okay? Because I'm not. And I want to know how did you get there? Because and if you haven't gotten there, what's stopping you or whatever it is? I like, I want to know. Right. Because like I I wanted to really be intentional about how I um how I took care of myself 
after my mm -hmm. sister passed away. So I wanted to make sure I was intentional about that. Like I'm making these changes. I'm making these decisions so that I can be better. Right. Um, to get up every day to find my purpose. One of the things that I like about your book, I like a lot of things about your book. So I'm probably going to keep saying that. <laughs> thank you. Because <laughs> I just feel you. like your story was just so relatable. And I feel <laughs> like, you know, you spoke about being in the foster care system, having a daughter at a very young age, and, you know, finally getting on your feet, you was a manager at Payless. Like, tell us about that. Because I think sometimes that part of the story get lost. And I think that what makes you so relatable. Like, this can happen to any one of us. Mm -hmm. that, and that's what I really wanted people to understand. Like, you know, I had my struggles, you know, but I started to piece my life back together in my adulthood. But um, yeah, so um, I decided to share that because, you know, I was trying to piece my life. I was piecing my life together in my adulthood. You know, um, I just had got my apartment when I turned 19, then I had my daughter. Um, so, you know, working throughout my career and being, you know, making it from being a cashier to a key career at Payless, that's a big deal. No, so I want people to know, deal. like, excuse yeah. me, I wasn't just no cashier. Right. Like, you know, I was a stock person. You know, I worked that I worked my way up. And then to get to where I wanted to be, like, you know, a little bit further um, financially, like a little bit more per hour and all that other stuff, like that was important to me. Like making my own money and being self-sufficient was very much important to me at a very young age. So to have that like kind of snatched away, it was like, dang, well, you know, when am I gonna have my moment? And then <laughs> it's like, you know, I have to deal with this grief and deal with this long-term grief and then deal with another tragedy. And then it's like, dang, like, you know, then you think that you're building yourself up because after my father passed away, I went back to college and I was like, okay, well, I can do even more by going back to college. And then I go back to college and then my sister passed away. So I had to come back out of college and take care of the kids. And then it's just like, okay, then I build myself up and I'm working, working at ACS, do this really well. And then I have the kids and I can't even make it to work because I don't have childcare. So it was just a lot of peaks and valleys. It's like, I'm just all the way up here and then I'm down here. Right. Up here and I'm down here. And that's why, um, I decided to name the chapters, how I named them, like mental health, exploitate, um, media exploitation. So I wanted to be very specific in what I was talking about because I want people to understand and I want them to hear my voice when they were reading. No, I definitely heard your voice. And I also, you know, you was a single parent. So not only were you young, you're trying to navigate through life, but you also had to take care of a child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. It was a lot. Um, you know, I do have to, you know, I was in a relationship, um, you know, up until about three years ago. So throughout the the struggle, like, you know, I never, it was never publicized. It was no, none of that, but I do, you know, say like, you know, D, he did help me a lot in that transition. Um, and when it got hard, that that's when it was like, okay, it was too much. And, you know, I started to take on too much. So, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, somebody gotta be strong to be dealing with somebody like me, because I have to, I take on a lot of things and I have a lot of things on my plate. So, you know, I don't, you know, I don't blame the person, but I do, I, I, I do appreciate them for being around for those, for those times. But, you know, as of right now, I'm doing it by myself. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what was your relationship like with your father? Um, I was like any other relationship. Um, you know, I'm, I was a rebellious teen, you know, I, I, I talked back, you know, we, we yeah, had our differences and all that stuff. <laughs> but um, you know, it was it was always a sense of togetherness. <laughs> like, you know, I feel like the only person that I could ever depend on, even going through um everything that I went through was my father, really. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, if I had to if I was in a bind, like, oh, I need some rent money, like, you know, I was calling him, I wasn't calling nobody else. It was nobody else to call. 
um, you know, and I didn't make that call very often. So when I did call, at least I got an answer because, you know, I wasn't asking all the time. So, um, you know, it's like one of those things where it's just like, okay, well, listen, I'm the child that don't ask all the time. And you the parent to hold me down. You know, I should be getting it because I don't ask. So when I do ask, I should get it. So that's always been my mentality because, you know, they're like, oh, help your siblings, help your siblings. Listen, help me. (laughs) Um, And I also feel like y'all were like a very close-knit family too. Yeah, it's like we were scattered, but we were still close. Like certain things we still did. Like when I had my apartment and, you know, my parents lived in Staten Island, I'm like, um, y'all need to come over for Sunday dinner. Like that's what people do. That's what families do. They get together for Sunday dinner. So I'll see y'all on Sunday. So Mm -hmm. they would come to Harlem from Staten Island on Sundays and have dinner at my house. So, you know, everybody would come over you know, I would cook that food. That's that's really where, you know, show off my cooking skills and stuff and, you know, cook the food or whatever. And we would just hang out. But, you know, I would I, I made them do that pretty much. Right. But, you know, as you get older, because I have to do that with my family and friends, like I have to make them like, come on, y'all, like, let's do some, let's spend some time together because before right. you know, we're going to be old as hell. <laughs> exactly. Like we need to, like we need to meet. Like I, I try to do like Sunday dinners all the time, try to keep stuff. Like I try to decorate the house and, you know, do all of these things. And it's just like, I'm tired. So, you know, I teach the kids how to do it. And, right. you know, hopefully when the holidays come around, they know how to do it right. Because I'm telling them, like, listen, if it look busted, it look busted. Right. Okay? <laughs> like, get it together. <laughs> right, right. Um, Where were you when you heard the news about your father? Um, I was in my house. So we started the book on the day of. Um, everything happened because um, everything that happened because really would understand the reality like mm-hmm. started on July 17th so that that's that's what I wanted people to tap into like you know I had a life before that day and you know my life continued after that and I wanted people to get like that's why in the book it kind of like went back to like oh back in the day or you know right. I made, uh, a, a present point valid to a, a past point because I feel like with my with my story and how you know we pull back the layers and how we talk with when I talk with the, to the authors, it was like, okay, I always have a story of overcoming. Right. Like I have an issue, I have a buy, I just figure it out. Like there's there hasn't been people that could really like, you know, say like, oh, you you just you just leaning on me for this or whatever. No, it's just like I'll try to figure it out first. And if I just absolutely cannot figure it out, then it's like when I start to lean on people when I should be leaning on people from the beginning. Right instead of just trying to handle it all myself. So that's that's a lot of what my life looked like um, in the past. Right. How did you feel when people try to criminalize your father's name? I hate when they do that, because I feel like when a lot of um, people that was killed by police officers, they try to bring up all these crazy stories and just make up these lies and stuff. And it's just like, what are y'all talking about? Like, this is a human being who haven't made a mistake if that was the case. Right, It was it was it was dumb. So, you know, a lot of things that they did were dumb. So <laughs> I stopped right. watching the news after a while and all that other stuff and doing things. So I really, I really didn't, I really didn't pay attention. And the stuff that I did pay attention to um, caused me to be mad. So I was just like, you know what, like, let's just, let's just get, get this out of here. And I started to like really speak up and do things and start to involve myself in certain things, the things that I could handle emotionally. Right. So if I couldn't handle it emotionally, I was not dealing with it. Right. And you mentioned earlier about the misconceptions. What were you talking about with that? Um, just like, you know, just putting it. But first of all, I was in a newspaper as my father's daughter. I mean, father's baby mother. Child. So they was like, look at Eric Garner's, the mother of Eric Garner's youngest child. And I'm just like, what? It was a picture of me and my daughter. And I'm like, 
Okay, now they really got it messed up. Like it's just because it's a it's a lot of us. <laughs> I mean, but that's, so, that's, that's just being lazy. Just like y'all need to do y'all research. Y'all right. need to figure it out. Like y'all y'all need to y'all need to focus. So this is not like, the only so large. This is not the only large family. Right. Yeah. Just co- so caught up on a story that you don't even take the time to find out who's who. Right. It, it was just. It was just like it started to get frustrating. Like was, oh, I didn't even know Eric Garner had kids. Well, then you don't know the story. Right. Like you can't like you can't say you support the Garner family and you support one person. Right. <laughs> like that that just does that just doesn't make sense. Well, I ain't gonna lie, you definitely was calling people out in your book about saying how they were supporting y'all. And you was like, you never met my mother before. <laughs> right. I was just like, you know, like it's it's just like, you know, you could say that you you are in support, but you can't say that you you supported the family. Right. It's more than one person. So it's just like you know, people, they, they just, they just want to, they just want to align themselves and do this. Like I have people walking up to me like, oh, I'm your cousin. And I'm just like, okay, do you remember me? First of all, I'm my mother's youngest daughter. Like, and she had two other kids after me and she had two, my, my, my mother had two kids when she met my father. So you might be confusing me with my oldest sister. So why don't you ask me, what's my name? and what you know which place do I fall like are you the oldest daughter that's also or are you the very, youngest daughter? that's weird though because like if I ain't known you since I've been alive all these years why are you coming up to me now right now it's like I'm your cousin and it's just like oh that's weird that's spooky <laughs> yes do you think that the media is obsessed with trauma porn and the reason why I ask is because we've seen your father we've seen Breonna Taylor George Floyd Amar Arbery and so many other people being killed over and over again and it's like at what point do the media stop showing these images and videos um it was super difficult navigating it because as I state like I walked out of the plenty of interviews where I was just like listen don't play yeah. the video. don't play the video like that's all I'm asking you to do you want to get my side you want to get my point of view you want to get my perspective but you're not you're not gonna don't play the video and then they would do it anyway and I would just walk out like I'm just like that's the one thing that I asked like you're asking me questions that have nothing to do with anything. You're asking like somebody asked me questions about Reverend Sharpton's hair. And I'm just like, my yeah. father is still on national TV. You think I'm sitting down talking to this man about his hair? Right. Do you think I care about his hair? Do you think I care if it's fake or not, or if it's permed or not? Do you think that I care? I really don't. Like I, I I'm not interested. And why does that even matter about what somebody like, doing with their hair? You know like, oh, how did he lose all this weight? I don't know. Because clearly if I did, maybe I'll be, you know, my I would be as skinny as him. Like you think that's right. what, he's about, what he's eating every day? I don't ask him, and it's just like get out of here. Like it, it, I just, I was just getting so frustrated, and I would just really blatantly sit there and be like, "Are you serious?" I like, like, oh, like one reporter asked me, um, "Would you, would you think your father would have been killed if he was white?" I was like, "Why are we interviewing?" But you know what? You also made some um. Another good point, because you mentioned how people would ask some of the dumbest ass questions and you were talking about like, do you hate police officers or like just some of the things that I didn't think that people would ask because I thought people would have a little bit more common sense. But it's also no. like, how would you ask some no questions? No common sense, like, no compassion, no empathy, none, none of that. Yeah, empathy, it's just, right. It's just it's just crazy. And I'm just like, you know, I just got fed up, fed up. I got tired of it. So I put it in my book. <laughs> right. And then your mama was cursing people out, child. Yeah, she was. And it was just like, you know, please don't get her started. Like, right. You know, when I got started. They was just like, oh, no, Pinky, get your daughter. And she's like, well, she told you <laughs> stop messing with her and, and you keep doing it. And I'm just like, you know, I'm not the type of person that you know, I don't lead with disrespect. I don't lead with aggression. I don't lead with those things. But my father was just killed. 
people are asking me stupid questions. Right. Things are happening in the background with the family. Things are happening in the front line with the media. Then you got all of this stuff, all of these people, all of these things that are happening. Like, I feel like I deserve a pass um, for the past eight years. Like, you know, anybody that I rubbed the wrong way or and exhibit anger with like listen i'm trying to be better either you're going to forgive me for it we're going to move on or you're going to hold the grudge and just keep it like that because i really i really lost my mind (laughs) like i really and then you know first first step to saying you're having a problem is admitting that you're having a problem or however that goes yes i've admitted that i had a problem i had a problem with the way my father was killed so i I, if i wasn't talking about resolving this issue or resolving resolving how we're going to move forward then no i was not interested Right. What do you think the media can do different in situations like this? I don't think they're going to do anything different. Mm. It's just all about the clicks. It's all about the click, clickbait, you know, whatever's hot, whatever's hot, whatever's out there. They're not going to do anything different. It's all about how you carry yourself and how you navigate and what you put out. And that's, that's, that's why, you know, I made sure that I wrote this book intentionally. It doesn't have curses in it. I don't think, no, it doesn't have any curses in it because I want it. People know, and I curse, I curse like a sailor sometimes, but, um, you know, I wanted people- No, to, you didn't really curse in this book. Yeah, I wanted it to be an easy read. Like, I wanted people to understand and feel me, and I wanted to be dragging on. So that's why the chapters are super short. Mm-hmm. I wanted, you know, I want my documentary so I can really explain the full things. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's going to happen. I, I realized I need to take my time, um, you know, one step at a time, because I'll take on a lot of things. and be like, yeah, I could do all of this. And then I'm rushing around to do all of this and, you know, um, you know, crunch time to meet deadlines and to staying up for three days straight, trying to get things done. And, you know, I just have to pace myself, set times, set boundaries. And that's, and that's what I'm learning how to do. But how do you balance all of that? Because I can only imagine, like, obviously we know what the cause is for. We don't, I'm, I know you and your family is going to do what's needed to honor your father and his legacy, but do you ever get tired? Yes. I was tired. You, you, you're doing a lot. And then you have three babies, which we'll talk about later with your sister kids. But like, how do you balance everything? Um, right now I'm trying to build community because I haven't, I haven't, I, I can say I've balanced things well because, you know, we haven't faced homelessness, you know, we doing all right, but right. emotionally and, you know, dealing with the kids and all of this stuff. Like I'm super tired. I tell people all the time, I'm tired. Like, I, I don't, I don't think I understand what, what I mean by when I say I'm tired. Yeah, so, you know, like they don't understand that. So, like it's not like uh, a, I need to go to sleep tired. It's like a physical tired, like right, like a I'm mental tired. Everything tired. So when everything gets uh, like I have my moments where it's like I'm I'm going off because I'm like you know I really do feel like you know my my family and my siblings could could, could help a little bit more. <laughs> like I really do. So I get frustrated at that. So I'm just trying to build community to where you know I could I could manage being a working mom and still taking care of everything. Um, you know. Uh, you know, I just, I just need a little bit more support resources and stuff like that, but I'm identifying those things so -hmm. that we can have it. So I wouldn't say that I'm fully there and I don't fully, I don't um, fully have it together, but I'm, I'm working on it. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm mishandling it. (laughs) That's somebody's Instagram handle that I know, mishandling. I'm just like, you know what? I should have stole that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Cause you get shit done. Yeah. It means necessary. Yes. And I'm just like, and sometimes you get tired of getting shit done. And <laughs> doing it by yourself. Yes, you get yeah. tired of getting things done. Sometimes I'm just like, you know, I don't want to do anything. Like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this. So, like, I put I put on my list. Like, nope, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Um, I could do this. I could do a little bit of that. And um, it's been working. It's been mm-hmm. working. 
In what ways did grief affect your family? Um, a lot. Like, there's not a lot of togetherness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned in your book how your dad was the patriarch in the family and how, like, he held y'all together. Right, because a lot of things about my family I really didn't know until after my father passed away. So finding out some of those things was just like, oh, it's just like a, a shell shock. So, um, you know, he was the one that, you know, we, we have get together, we do this, we do that. So, you know, we know about events and stuff that's happening because of him or whatever. So, yeah, it was, it's, it's not, not a lot of togetherness. Right. And you mentioned also with your brothers how, how because grief affect all of us differently, but you mentioned like with your sister, Erica, which we'll talk about in a few, like she, if it made her like go even harder, like we're protesting and like just trying to get things done with you, it kind of, you was kind of closed off for a minute, but then you eventually found your voice and like with your brothers, you talked about how they just like kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my youngest brother, he's still shut down. Like, I don't, I don't know what it's going to take for him. Like, I really honestly really don't know. Um, my other brother, like, I, I don't know if it's phases with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have another sister right now. She's, um, my mom, my mom's oldest daughter. She's battling breast cancer. She doesn't really mm-hmm. talk. She doesn't, you know, talk, speak out or whatever. She's probably going to kill me for saying this on the podcast, but you know, she's, we stand in solidarity with her, we support her as much as, as much as she wanted to be supported because I always say like, I want to meet people where they are because mm-hmm. I would like to have been met where I was. And, you know, mm-hmm. instead of somebody coming at me with the, you should do this and you should do that. I wish that people were more patient and saying, what is it that you need so that we can do these things right. what is it that you need to help you out, to make it easier for you to accomplish these goals. So I just wish that it was a little bit more of that. So I try to give people grace in that way. Like, you know, I try to meet you where you are. Like I have a support group on Mondays. And when I speak to the women, I'm like, what is it that you need? And my dear, my dear Darlene McDay, you know, she lost her son, Dante. And, you know, that was her only son. And I feel so hard for her. Like, like my heart literally hurts for her. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I just don't know what to do and what type of support. And I know that the conversations are helpful but I'm just always racking my brain about what, what do you need? What do you need? And then the things that I suggest are not things that she needs. So we're still trying to figure out what it is that she needs. And I'm like, you need to break something. You need to punch somebody. You need to be physical because I think that that's going to work for you. Like, I just need you to let that <laughs> aggression out in that way so that we can figure out what the next thing is that's going to help. And a lot of what I hear from her is I don't feel the support. I put the call out and, you know, when activists put the call out, they get a thousand people to come out. When I put the call out, I only get 10, only get 15 mm. or whatever. And I was just like, I know that feeling. I was like, if you go back and look at most of the things that I did and most of the things that Erica did, we did it by ourselves. The only thing was we wasn't scared to do things by ourselves because we was used to doing things by ourselves. Like right. standing on our own and standing alone and doing things like that's just what we were used to. So, so I don't care if it's one person or a thousand people, I'm still be out there. When right. I took the break, wasn't nobody ready to go to jail with me, but I was fully ready to go to jail. I was like, I don't care what this means. I'm going to jail. Somebody go get the kids because it's going down. And I took the bridge. And then, you know, when I saw two people jump over, shout out to Aries when he hopped that gate and he was like, I, I ain't going to be in a safe jail cell with you, but we're going to go to jail together. And I was just like, my guy. So I was just like one person. Okay. And then when we went to one police plaza, 
put the call out. People weren't laying down on the floor with me, but Joa, she got down. She had on a summer dress. My girl had on a summer dress and flip-flops and she got down on the floor. And she was like, no justice, no peace. And I was just like, that's my girl. And I'm like, you know, just to have the just that one person or those two people, like my girl Tree, she didn't have no voice. She was on that bullhorn. She was going, itch. <laughs> I didn't have no voice. She didn't have no voice. And she was out there screaming at the top of her lungs in front of there. So I was just like, those were the moments that we needed. Those were the things that right. I was just like, you know what? Let's go take the bridge. Let's go to the site. Let's go here. Let's go pull up that Gracie mansion. Let's go do this. Like when I was ready to do it, you had those key people that I was ready to go. And that was a good feeling. And that's what I want um, Darlene to feel like. I want her to feel like she has the support. And it's hard to feel like you have the support when you don't see the people. Right. So um, I just always encourage people to support in any way that they can. And it doesn't always mean money. It means showing up. Showing up. Yeah. When she puts on an event, if she's doing a memorial for her son, show up. Not asking you to spend money, not actually doing nothing. Show up. Why do you think that people support the organizations, but not the people like the families, like you or your sister? Because y'all was doing a lot of things by yourselves for a, a long time, but then you would see what I'm pretty sure you kept seeing. I can't breathe everywhere, mm-hmm. and y'all weren't really y'all didn't benefit from that. It wasn't a a, a big benefit, like. We benefit in ways of being on the TV. You know, we got cut booked for a couple of speaking engagements, but people want to talk to the activists instead of talking to the people. I, right. I, haven't gotten to, I haven't gotten to the bottom of that yet. Maybe that'll be in the next book. But if you look at my interview with Reverend Sharpton, I definitely asked that. I asked him. I'm like, you've been around a long time. You've been around. You've seen all of these organizations and all of these places. Like, why? Like, why? Why is it like this? And he don't even know. And it's just like, it's just, right. it's just like a, a social justice curse. I don't know mm. what this curse is and this dark cloud that's over right. people that just can't get it together. Like I oh, just when I meant oh when I meant benefit benefit, I meant like because a lot of people was also profiting off of I can't breathe or say her name or say his name. And the oh, family didn't get all that money. Exactly. <laughs> that's what oh, I'm saying. Like, so there was a lawsuit, everybody, and there were seven people on a lawsuit. So please don't think that I have millions of dollars in my bank account because I don't. Right. Um but um yeah like we didn't benefit off of that like you know i just i just got my 501c3 status um my nonprofit status from um uh, from my organization um you know we're working with some good organizations we have a fiscal sponsor because a lot of things i didn't understand i didn't go to school for business management and all of this other stuff but i work with people that did so right. that's that's how i learned a lot of the things that i learned so i think that um a lot of people mishandle um, some of the things that they're supposed to be doing with the money that they're receiving. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's unfortunate that the families don't really get any of that, you know, that funding, but there are organizations that do do what they have to do that, right. that support um, people. And I definitely shout out to the huddle and to Reverend Sharpton's office for, you know, being a support because they always did, you know, even when, you know, I was, I was on my little ranch and I was mad and I was in front of the courthouse going off. Reverend Sharpton ain't getting his car and drive off. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I just did it now. This man is never going to talk to me again. Oh. I was like, I took the paper and I told the federal government, you don't want to indict the officers, forget you. And I tossed the paper across the room and I walked out. It was so, it was like, I, I, my body wasn't even there. And I was like, but you was mad. It was like, come on now. Now. But he understood. And that's, that's when I was like, okay, like you understand me, you get me. He was like, no, she's mad. Like she's, she's upset. She's angry. What y'all need to see. Like you, you, you see the sweet and the calm when you see my grandmother on TV and all that stuff. But it's like, no, forget the calm. 
Like, don't tell me you want you got my, you giving me condolences again and you still killing people. Yeah. Like it's pointless. So it, it was just like it was a buildup. And I went off and I was just like, oh, you're still here? Oh, okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that <laughs> for still supporting me because I lost it. I'm like, come on. Like people thought that was your coming to activist moment. Though that was a mental breakdown and I was asking for help. And and after that day, I did ask for help and I, I needed the help and I received the help that I needed. Mm. I didn't even think about that. That's a good way to put it. Social uh, social justice uh, curse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Do you think activists help or hurt cases? I think it's both. I think mm-hmm. that the, the activists that are intentional about, um, that are intentional about helping people, mm-hmm. there are activists that are intentional about helping people but go about the wrong way. Right. <laughs> there are activists that, have that mean well mm-hmm. but they don't have the best methods because I, I've seen I've seen a lot and I've 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 heard it from other other survivors about how they've been treated and that may not have been my experience that may not have been the person sitting next to me experience but mm-hmm. that was their experience and I know everybody's experience is their experience so I just say that I always try to handle people with grace and give them a little bit of grace like are you intentionally trying to do this or are you doing this by accident and we have a chance to fix it like, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's about accountability. <laughs> Excuse me. If I'm going to um, hold these officers accountable and we want to hold these politicians and everybody accountable, we should be able to hold ourselves accountable Fact. for the things that we do and how we move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. So when I hear a lot of people talk about um, the Black Lives Matter stuff and, you know, the money and all this other stuff, and I'm just like, what is the breakdown? You know, what is what is the evidence? Um, what is the accountability? Like, I didn't follow the story. I don't know the details. And I just got some new information that I didn't even know the other day during an interview. So, you know, I, I well, really didn't have a comment. I was just, you know, that the that the evidence came out. Like, whatever evidence that they were saying, mm-hmm. oh, show us where the money went, that came out. I was like, I don't know where I was. I missed that. So I didn't, yeah. I didn't follow. I didn't follow. I honestly did not follow. I do not follow these stories because I don't have opinion and I don't know these people. I didn't directly encounter them. So, you know, I feel bad for the people who were affected but I did not follow. I just don't have the capacity. Like I have three kids. That money ain't come to me. That's all I know. Right. That's all I know. Like it didn't come to me. I was just, if it did, I would have let you know, you know, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't be in a small apartment. We would have been a, a much bigger apartment. Right. If we had some of that money, that would have helped us. I'm not going to lie though. The little details I do know, if it is true, that's fucked up. Right. Like, I mean, like, I, I just want people to be held accountable. I just right. want people to understand and you know i think that people and i said in another interview that people should do more research right and sending their money because you know this is even from back in the day like i remember oh miss cleo call me now for your free psychic reading yeah yeah so it's it it, it it happens but we just gotta be more careful about some of the things that we do and when people talk you gotta listen to them and sometimes people don't have the best ways of expressing themselves because they were affected by police brutality. Their loved one was killed and now their whole life is splattered across the world and the whole world thinks that they know you. And just because they have a conversation with one person that affects everybody and it's right. just, no, like, 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 let's take a minute. Let's, let's try to figure out where it is. That's why with my organization, you know, I figured out like, you know, some of the things that I wanted to do and some of the things that I didn't want to do. And it's like, you know, we get to have these things and it's like, I want to focus on mental health. I want to focus on youth and mental health. I want to focus on crisis situations. These are the things that I want to focus on. I don't want to have to focus on chokeholds. Yeah. Because that's emotional for me. Like, you know, I'm always going to fight for the federal, for the, for the, for the federal government to pass the law 
um, for the Eric Garner Choco bill. But the reality for me is that cop is never going to jail. That cop is never going to be held accountable. None of the officers and none of the people involved in my father's death are going to be held accountable. So I got to do what I got to do to help out the people that were affected before me and the people are affected after me. And that that's really all I could do. And I don't blame anybody for, you know, the, the, the amount of help that they gave me or didn't give me. People do what they want to do. People do what they have to do. But I just say that, you know, if, it, if it's true, like you said, it's wrong. Like you need to know that what you did was wrong, but if it's right. not true and there, there's explanations and there's, you know, right. there's, you know, a lot of things that, that weren't, wasn't put out to the public. Like it's a lot of things that people don't know. Like what, what are those things? Cause I still need to know what happened to my father too. Cause we right. still, so it's still, it's all about finding out and what, what are we, what are we going to find out? Yeah. So I would rather them come out and say, what happened and what was done then to say oh now this is coming out in the news and it makes you look extra bad right just what happened what happened to the money what happened that's what people want to know and I feel like you should talk about it instead of not talking transparent yeah being talked about anyway yeah I didn't want to be talked about but I was being talked about anyway by anybody they were saying anything so I wanted I wanted to write my book and get get people to know this is my story. This is what I did. I don't know about everybody else. I don't know what happened over there. I don't know what happened over there, but I know what happened to me. So right. that's all I can share. So I just encourage people to step up and speak out, speak your truth. Right. Tell us about your sister, Erica, because I felt like she was like, she kept her foot on their necks. Like she was not playing. She protested in front of that police station for two years straight, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays and Thursdays. She ran down on a president. You know, she was up against the Secret Service. Like, she did a lot. She did a lot. And, you know, she was ready to take the, the Verrazano Bridge. And I'm just like, uh, Verrazano Bridge is federal government. So I don't know if anybody got bail money that's going to get me out the federal government. <laughs> so um, she she did a lot. And, uh, you know, I commend her for everything that she did. And I wish she was around to see the staple that she made in history. And and I always say with her, like, she lost her mind. She lost her heart. She she broke, the, the world broke her heart. So she didn't get the justice she deserved. And I think that um, a lot of people can learn from her story, can, you know, see from her story that if you don't take care of you, there's nothing's going to be left. Right. And she, at the age of 27, she died to a heart attack. And I was like, damn, it had to be the grief and the pain and everything she was feeling. Because I'm like, I don't remember seeing her like, I mean, I don't know her, but she didn't look sick or anything. And you Mm -hmm. mentioned your book, how she never had any health issues. She didn't have heart issues. Yeah, she, what you call a hypochondriac? She had an asthma pump because I had asthma pump, so <laughs> she she was sick because I was sick. So right. you know, every time I had a cold, she had a cold. Right. So it was like we was twins. So and, and then, but when we go to the doctor, she was never really diagnosed with asthma or anything like that. So you know, she was sick because I was sick, but right. um, she she was fine. Like you know what I'm saying? That's what I always say. Like she was fine. Like you know, and it is it's just super unfortunate that she's not here to be one kids you know, cause I have them and I see, you know, the sadness and stuff like that and my niece and stuff like that. And that's, that's a hurt that won't go away. And, you know, how do you, how do you help a young person like that? How do you, how do you do that? And I was like, I don't, I don't know because I had 20, 22, 20, 22 years with my father. So nice. I, I don't know. She only had eight with her mom. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's super sad for her. Um, after they announced that the police officer was not going to be arrested and he was fired, were you surprised about the outpours out the support that you received from everyone around the world? No, I was surprised that the video went viral. 
because that was the day that I went viral on the in front losing my mind yelling and screaming so I was just I was just like I was kind of embarrassed so I was like, embarrassed? people supported me but I felt like I was embarrassed like oh my gosh like I don't I don't want to be seen in this way I was already seeing hurt and crying now I'm seeing super bad now people are just gonna just have this image of me just being angry all the time and then, like, that was that was the first thing that came to my mind and um because at that time all you think about is the image what image are you putting out there what are you right. portraying to the world and that's all everybody kept reminding you the lawyers everybody is just like oh don't do this it might affect the case don't do that it might affect the case don't do this it might affect the case and it's just like affect what case because nobody went to jail so it really didn't matter what I did or what happened. It's that that cop was never going to jail anyway. So right. I think that's just something that they say because, like, I feel like you know, if I would have known that they was never going to indict or had intentions to indict, probably would have been wilding out a little bit more than what I was. I probably would have ran down on the president too. Right? Yeah, ran down on a couple of folks. Exactly. <laughs> now, can you let the listeners know what tell, tell us about the Eric Gardner law and what are some steps to take when it gets to when it comes to getting the law passed? Um, so the Eric Garner law is the anti-choco bill that was passed in, in New York state. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that comes with, um, with, with charges, like you'll be arrested, you lose your job. That's for uh, any type of officials, police officers, correction officers, um, even traffic cops. Um, so that's for everybody under that falls under that category. And we're hoping to make it a federal legislation. This year will be the year to do that. We have the support of, um, Elizabeth Warren and um, Kirsten Gillibrand and, you know, um, Senator Carl Hasty. We have we have a lot of um, support from all of them. And, um, you know, of course, Eric Adams in New York, he always supports, um, you know, he does he did a lot of work with my grandmother. He did a lot of support, supporting things with um, some with everything that we did. Um, my sister's memorial he came to. So he's definitely very supportive. And, you know, we have the support from him to make this federal law, federal like you know pass this federally so you know it's just it just means a lot when people step up sign my petitions because that makes that makes a difference we got like a million signatures in like 30 days or something like that right. but like those things mean a lot because the numbers count because when we send our petition like they don't want to get a stack of papers this big of signatures of people supporting stuff but we're going to send it anyway or we're going right. to put it on the billboard we're going to walk it up to the capitol like those were the type of things that we were going to do and then they passed it and we were like Okay, well, we don't need to waste that much paper because they did it. So, right. <laughs> but they knew if they did not pass this law, we was going to make some noise in New York City. And I think you made another good point on how we can support by make, signing, getting signatures. Yes. The, um, I have a petition now. Um, it's on my website and it's also in my Instagram. And um, we can't breathe.net is my website. Um, and we just have all of the postings up there. Um, the book link is up there. Um, you know, the Healing Justice Support Village is up there. Um, we're going to start um, broadcasting our meetings because I think that it's important for people to know the stories because I'm hearing a lot of, oh, I don't want to put this in the media. It's going to affect the case. And I'm just like, I've heard that before. Right. So let's move on. Like, we're not going to talk about what the lawyers are taking care of, but we need to talk about how this is affecting you. What do you need to get you through the day? Because you still got to go to work every day, knowing that you're fighting the case for your child. And then you're on the news today and tomorrow you got to go to get up and go to work and be nice to people and do this and do that and do and this. Show and face. Exactly. Right. So how is this going to work? Right. How important is it to have white allies? Um, I don't, I don't hate white people. So I don't know, you know, my grandmother was a, a white woman. She was white and, and black. She, her father was a Hasidic Jew. And her mother was African-American. So, you know, I don't, I don't hate white people. I know that some people 
they feel a certain way black people you know i don't like white people but you know I, the reality is my my great grandfather is white and you know i have the people in my blood but um <laughs> I, I, I i support uh my white allies you know i have to shout out to the peace alliance Deanne tate that is that's my girl she's a white lady and she understands she gets it like she is supportive like she is so super supportive mm -hmm. when she did my link for my website um to do to go to the peace alliance and creating the barcode so that people could just scan and sign the petition and do it all these these you know mm -hmm. innovative things that i should know but i'm i don't know um and she's just like super supportive and letting me know things um you know i'm actually in the in the running for being a board member on the peace alliance and oh, you know nice. Come like on, yeah so i'm like i i really i really thank people for their support like the, the genuine white people that support and i don't you know i don't mean like the people that say things and then they're caring behind right. them. You could tell when somebody is super genuine and Deanne is definitely one of those people. And we also met a young woman, her name was Jackie Johnson. Um, she used to work for Reverend Sharpton and I still talk to her to this day, although she moved back to California. She doesn't work for Reverend Sharpton. She transitioned to work back in um, California and mm -hmm. she's been super supportive. And it's just like, no lie, no matter where I am in the world, it doesn't matter. Anytime that I'm having like a, like a, I call myself, I call them episodes. <laughs> well, I'm just like going off something to piss me off and I'm just like you know what what the heck and then like I think it was like a week ago or so I was in my house literally walking around in a circle and I'm just like you know what this is just a little bit too much for me and she called me and I picked up and I was like Jackie every time that I'm having a moment you always call me <laughs> and, she's but that's good, though. And, and, and she always called me and I was just like you know what? I appreciate that let's say so she, she feels it all the way from California and just like we have this connection so I really appreciate my white allies <laughs> yes yes listen not all white people are bad child yes they're not you know they're some not. of them really do want to help us when people think of these high profile cases they sometimes think that the settlement money makes things better when it actually makes things worse how do you feel about that um totally destroyed my family um, I can say that, um, you know, I feel like money is the rule of all evil. And I didn't understand that until um, this, this, this tragedy actually happened. And my, my family's probably going to kill me for saying this, but it, it tore us apart. Like it really did. And it was just like, you know, when I say it's no togetherness, it was just like, like, I wanted, I wanted more togetherness. Like, you know, so we was going to be like the Cosby family like yes. you know we're gonna figure this out we're gonna do this everybody is like a working machine and it didn't happen because of the trauma that it was the trauma and the depression and the grief that everybody deals with it in a different way um and um my way of dealing with it and my way of dealing with a lot of things is getting into my little shell and becoming a robot go to work come home go to work come home go to work come home and just cut everything else out right and i noticed that that's not really good for the children yeah, because they can pick up on outside. it. And then yeah. the quarantine hit and then we were forced to be inside. And now that the quarantine is over, I'm just like, I love being home. I love being alone. <laughs> They're like, Auntie, can we go to the park? Like the little one, the baby, five years old. He's like, Auntie, can... every time we walk, we roll past the Can we go to the park? And I was just like, oh, <laughs> I forgot that the outside is open. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, we do a lot more things. Like, you know, we do a lot more things outside. So um, it's just, it was just a lot. It was hard to adjust. Do your like, family know about how you feel? Probably not, but they'll find out in this interview. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you want to or in the book. Or in the book. Why you won't tell them? <clears throat> I mean, because... not to get in your family business, but 
Um, I mean, my family business is already out there. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, um, people, everybody knows how I feel. I, I can't even say that they don't know how I feel because I, sp- I speak my opinion. I, I talk, everybody knows how I feel about them. I must say, but they don't, they don't know what I want, what I, what I, what I would have wanted. I think that's the part that they don't know. So they know exactly how I feel, What you know, you know, I love my family, you know, we're crazy. Right. And you know, like what I can say, nobody else can say that's, that's how I am. Right. Like, you know, I can curse my mama out, you know, not with curse words and stuff, but I can say what I want to say, but you can't say what right. I say because then we're going to have problems. Right. But, you know, but you know, people like, I know I, I let them know how I feel like, mom, I'm mad because you did this, 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 and this. Like why you did this for, for this sibling and you ain't do that for me. I asked you for this. Why you got this? Why I ain't get a bag? You bought everybody a wallet. Why I ain't get a wallet? Right. You know what I'm saying? Why I ain't go to dinner? Like, so, you know, we have typical, typical mommy daughter uh, <laughs> things that are going on. So they definitely know how I feel. Right. I think they know now what I want, or they kind of figured it out. I think they kind of figured it out along the way with how I move. Right. Do you think things will get better? Um, I think that if if I'm intentional, things will get better. I think that if I made the initiative, things will get better. Mm. And I think that I got a lot on my plate. So making an initiative and doing that is a little bit much for me right now. Right. Um, but I don't want to wait till it's too late. Yeah. I ain't got time right now. Right. You know what? Do you think that people should know how much families receive when it comes to settlement money? Uh, no, because people think that you know all that money went into one bank account and it didn't. Right, right. People did not like. I don't think people should 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 pay attention to stuff like that because I'm like, why do they always tell people how much the families get? Because they want to get robbed. No, I'm sorry. Edit that out. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> but no, that's that's I, edit that I feel like that's what it is. Like, yeah, no, it's no, true. Yeah, like, don't think that I have oh I don't have this I don't have this money don't don't think that I have this right I always right. wonder that like that's so weird to me my organization has only been up what is this month this is 10 months that I have not worked a full-time job and done activism work this is the first time in eight years that I'm able to not have to hold the full-time job and do the work that I'm that I'm passionate for which is helping people and focusing on mental health so this is really literally only since the beginning of this year Right. And but that's good though. Ten months. It's good. It's good. Ten months. So, you know, yeah, we can hard and do more because I'm just like, you know, like like if I told I, I let people know. I said if I go back to work, just know <laughs> that y'all not gonna see me. Because right. like, you know, my last job with ACS and then after I left ACS, I started working for Mega Everest College under the leadership of Larry Daniels and um Esmeralda Simmons over there at Mega Everest College. And then um, you know, I went to, to another organization where, you know, I was a de- de- director of organizing. And then I went to another organization. So I was like, if I go back to work, it's gonna be like 60, 70, 80 hours into another yeah. organization or another company that's not mine. Yeah. On top of dealing with the kids and just life like I, I, I was like I don't even have anybody to pick them up from school right now so I have to do interviews mm-hmm. while the kids are in school or late after I pick them up so once I get all that together then I, I can figure out all that other stuff but I was just fortunate enough to meet with an organization that you know gave us our seed funding and then partner with another organization that gave us our fiscal sponsorship so they handling the finances so it's not like I just have money in my bank account though I have to go right. through um, checks and balances to to spend the money and keep track and keep accounting. So, you know, that's why I, I, I like to let people know, like we have fiscal sponsorship. So anything that have to do with finances, 
talk to the finance team because I do not touch the money. Like right. I execute the plan and I name myself executive director because I don't want to be a CEO. I don't want to just sit in the background. I actually want to do the work and I want to be hands-on with be the outside. program. Right. And be with the, with the young people because I want to make sure that the people that I'm, that I'm hiring are, are, you know, good for my kids because I can't hire somebody that doesn't like kids just because you're an admin. So that means that if my child come in here, you know, when, when my, my kids come into my program, because I always call them my kids, when they come in here, you, you're not going to take a minute and see what's wrong with them and try to figure it out and know that's not your job. No, that's not your position. That's but people. I need you to have a little bit of crisis management to at least be able to bring, bring the kid down. Right. So that they could get to the next step before it escalates to another thing. Because then it goes to another person. Oh, well, now, now I'm calling the cops. You don't need to call the cops when they, they just need to get it out. Maybe they're just mad about something. Maybe you did something that pissed them off. Yeah. And they just need to get it out. Come on. Like, don't, don't do that. Right. And, and I want to make sure that I'm intentional with hiring people who actually want to help. Like, just be a little bit empathetic and understand. Maybe yelling and screaming is how they deal with stuff in their home. So mm-hmm. they, they, they need to know that that's not how they deal with their hair, but how are they going to know if you don't tell them? Right. So, you know, a lot of things that we do is because we learn them. We've seen them. We, we, yeah. we learn how to conduct ourselves in different places because somebody was the example. So I want to hire people who are the examples. Right. What are some other things that you think that the family, sh- family should receive besides money? Mental health therapy. I think that that should be a given. I think it should be free. Um, I think it should be, I think it should come from um, somebody who understands. I mm-hmm. think that it should come from um, people who look like them. So mm-hmm. if I talk to a person, like I want to talk to a black person. If I'm Hispanic, I want to talk to a Hispanic person. Um, just somebody who can relate or if not even race being the, the factor, but culture. Somebody yeah. that understands my culture. Like, you know, I talk with my hands a lot. I do this and all this other stuff. Like, you know, I have Tamara Carter. Her son um, was, was, you know, killed in solitary confinement. And I say killed because he wasn't given the proper treatment that he was, that he deserved. And, you know, she's like, I feel like, you know, people are not going to receive me because of how I am and how I talk. And then as we started going through our support group, like she's telling me, I need you to do this. Or I need you to do this. I was like, um, excuse me, miss. I don't know how to do this and that. You know, right. hello, president. Now she's the president. And she's like, oh, I'm the president. I'm like, yes, you're the president. So you give everybody orders. I was like, I don't want people working for me. I want people working with me. So if you're telling me, I'm not how you do this, this, that, and the other. She's like, I thought I was a high head. I thought I was too straightforward, but you took the ground. And I was like, see, you never know what you're capable of until you try it. Who would have thought you would have been the president of a support group? But you know what it is, though? It's the reason because they try to downplay women, especially Black women. And they be saying, oh, you don't know how to talk. You don't know how to do this and all this other stuff. Right. We water ourselves down mm-hmm. thinking that we're too much when these niggas, because well, you know, never know. Reverend Al Shop might be listening to this. <laughs> but we got we to edit that out because you know, he's right. going to listen. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's so annoying, like how you, they try to make us like water ourselves down or like put, our, put our, us in like in a little box. And it's like, no, right. you fool me. Right. And it's just like, you know, it's not that she doesn't, know how to speak because she knows how to talk. She knows how to speak. She knows how to communicate. Right. It's that people maybe around her told her that that she doesn't speak well. And I'm just like, you, you talk just fine to me. Like you're talking to me, you're organizing, you're doing this. And this is what I try to try to point out to people. Like when I say that I'm working with other people, right. I'm working with them so they can find their voice. Her voice is not my voice. My voice is not her voice. I'm not gonna talk how she talks. She's not gonna talk how I talk because I'm from Brooklyn. She's from the Bronx. Right. Like we have, we have, we have a certain 
vernacular. We talk a certain way. We do right, a certain right. thing. I say New York. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, I have I have a little accent. She has a little accent, but that doesn't mean that she can't stand up in front of the world and fight for justice for her son because she speaks a certain way, because her nails are a certain way. Like I like her nails, those are cute. Like, and if anybody got anything to say about it, then we all gonna jump in because exactly. we're all the religion. We're all gonna come for you. Like, no, this this is how this is how my my friend feels empowered to fight for justice and, and she I, should be uplifted for that and i always tell people um because i call my community the um, professional homegirls and i always tell people to share their story because you never know how you, your storyline can be somebody else's lifeline yes exactly mm-hmm. and that's what i tell them all the time like you know i was like you never know how it's going to change other people because listening to other people change me yeah yeah what is some advice you would give to those that have been affected by police brutality? Take your time. Mm. You don't have to be everywhere because you are the story. Um, and I always go back to my reference where, you know, after the, the courthouse incident, um, they were like, oh, you can go do an interview at this station. And they were like, oh, you got to do it today. And I was like, I just don't have the mental capacity. Like, I am super drained. And mm. they were like, oh, well, they're not going to want the story tomorrow. I was like, well, this is my story every day. Right. So I want, I want them to understand that this is going to be your story every day. And, you know, I know that the momentum is high and, you know, you want to get the story out there, but pace yourself, do as much as you can handle and don't tire yourself out. Right. Like, you know, I, I, you want to get the story out. You want to do that. You want to do all these things, but remember that every time that you talk about it, every time that you do it, you're reliving and you're breaking down and you're leaving a piece of yourself there. Fact. So just be intentional about your self-care. And that's that's the major advice. Be intentional about your self-care. Look out for my self-care retreat because I definitely want to have one where we okay. actually get in depth about these things where it's like no cameras, no phones, no social media. We get real, we understand them, we talk in. Like, you know, we we I really want to get those things because when the cameras are on, like people are reserved. So mm-hmm. you know, I want to make sure that we're intentional, that we're not posting, you know, videos online of the conversation because I want people to be real. And you know, sometimes people will be like, oh, well, this is triggering. Do you think you need to see someone? No, I'm not about to kill myself. <laughs> like, right. I want to go off in this moment. And I just want somebody, I just want to be heard. And I want to be validated in my feelings. Right. So validate and I want to be seen. And see me. And, that, and, and figure out how we're going to move forward, how we're going to build to go to the next level. And I, that's, that's really what I want um, to get out of the retreat. I want everybody to walk away with their game plan at least a two month, two or three month game plan of what needs to happen in order for them to feel okay and feel better to get through the next couple of days or weeks or months or whatever it is. Right. And what ways can people support those who've been affected by police brutality? Um, I think that everybody's unique. And everybody needs support in different ways. So mm-hmm. for me, um, the, the support that I would need is community. I would need people to log on to my website, read my book, get to know me a little bit, tap into the things that are available on the website, you know, watch the podcast, you know, show up to the events, um, you know, donate, contribute, like, you know, do things like that, volunteer, um, you know, we do, we do events, we do things, um, and, you know, we don't have a lot of money now, but when we get the money, we will definitely right. paying people and hiring people at the salary that they deserve, so we want to make sure that we put the work in and show people what we can do before they um, actually just give us money. <laughs> so we, right. we've been working really hard this last year and I'm actually going to put out a deck 
of all the things that we've done this year because we just came off of doing 11 days of action and then um i did a book um i did a book bag giveaway in antigua and you know t-shirt um t-shirt tabling at 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 an event out there and um we're just we're just doing a lot of groundwork a lot of social media work a lot of work with the youth um a lot of work with students and uh, we're gearing up for this book tour and this book tour is going to be it's going to be amazing <laughs> well you know this story is very near and dear to me for obvious reasons but um you know i was a little nervous when we about this conversation because <laughs> no 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 because i feel like you know to see it is one thing but to experience it is another thing and, you know, this was the last thing that I watched from my grandmother before she passed away. Mm. And I never seen, I'm about to get emotional, but I never seen my grandmother cry like that before. And that just seeing everything that happened, like really broke my heart. So, you know, I really appreciate you coming on to the show and however I can support you, which we'll talk about offline. And mm. obviously, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the show, but all of my guests are anonymous, but I know people are going to know who you are. We're going to definitely support you. <laughs> Um, me, we're going to do a giveaway with your books and I'm going to make sure I share your books and, you know, I want to volunteer because I'm really big on volunteering, but like, I really feel like this is like, I really hope that I made your father and my Nana proud of the conversation we had. Cause I didn't want to talk about like the obvious events. Cause I can only imagine how that must feel. Cause even in your book, you talk about having nightmares and not being able to sleep and stuff. And I didn't want to like bring some of those, com- those topics back up, even Thank though you. I know we talked about it. it. I appreciate it. And I talk about my grandma in the book too. She's right there. Yes. My grandma, I got a picture of her right there on my wall. Yes. Um, and um, she, you know, she like, when, when I explain um, about my grandmother, um, you know, I say like, I didn't get to say goodbye to my father. I didn't get to say goodbye to my sister. So when she got sick, I was like, she is not dying alone in a hospital bed. That is not yeah. happening. I don't care under any circumstances. We literally lived in a two bedroom apartment with the three kids and we was there. Like, I was like, all right, mm-hmm. we just do a home hospice in, in, in the house. Right. Like, it is. And I told the kids, y'all just gonna have to understand. Y'all just, you know, they have to understand they went through it with me and I explained to them what that is, what this means and what's going to happen. So right. they knew what was going to happen before it happened. And I think that it was a good, uh, not a good experience. It was a bittersweet experience for the children to see that transition. And it was, it was, it was, it was good to see. And it was, it was really, it was really good to see her transition um, in a good way and not alone. Yeah, that's what that's what I was focused on. So, um, you know, sending love to your granny, sending love to my granny, and yes. you know, um, I was very close to my grandmother, so I definitely understand. Yeah. Okay, so two more questions because I know you gotta get to these kids, baby. Yeah. They're out singing. <laughs> they in there talk about they hungry. I'm like, how you? It's probably at the door. Like, I'm hungry. I know. Like, okay, no, I'm starving you now. Home. I'm starving you now, and I bought empanadas after school. Oh, I love empanadas. Okay, we almost finished. Okay. So you asked a really great question in your book, and y'all, her book is amazing. Like. It's a good read. It's a quick read. Like she said, the the chapters weren't long. But one of the questions that you asked in your book that I would like for you to answer is, do you think that we would ever be considered equal in the world where there is so much inequality? Um, I think that that's a hard question to answer. Yeah, I know, right? I think that that it's a working working progress. Mm. I think that if we don't vote this this voting year, everything that we work for is going to be gone. I think that um, if we are not intentional about who we get in office and who we get out of office, um, it's going to definitely affect us. We already got our abortion rights taken away. Um, you know, people say yeah. they're pro-life and people say they're pro, pro. Um, what is it? Pro-life and pro-choice. Pro-choice. Mm-hmm. Um, see, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. You know, I'm trying to it's figure a out. Lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And 
you know, you don't know how important those things are until after it happens. And yeah, you know, I or when you're in the situation. But yes, I don't. I feel for the victims um, that are not able to get the treatment that they need because of this, this, um, this law, this pro-choice, pro-life law that that just got overturned. Right. Um, Planned Parenthood, and I used to work with Planned Parenthood. I used to work, um, you know, doing in Staten Island when I was pregnant. I worked for Planned Parenthood. I was like, I was pregnant working for Planned Parenthood, <laughs> but. <I'm- laughs> But I was working in a different department. So of course I wasn't working in that department. I was working right, right. in community health action. So Planned Parenthood is right next door or whatever. But you know, it was just, it was just, it was just one of those things where I was just like, dang, like they're just snatching things away from us. And people are worried about a TikTok dance. People are going viral for uh saying saying words that don't make sense. And the and these are the things that are not going viral, and these are the laws that we need because this is why no family gets the justice they deserve because of these laws and the things that happen behind the scenes that are protected and the the officers that are protected. So we need people to to get out and vote. Do, yeah. Do, do your research. Become a part of a, a network that gives you education. It doesn't have to be this. Doesn't have to be Reverend Sharpton. Doesn't have to be Jesse Jackson. There are educational organizations out there that will teach you what laws you need to be following. What does this mean? What does that mean? Because right. you really need to know down to where your kids go to school. Because yeah. you know it's 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 a lot, and those things you need to know, or they will just they will just fly you right on in, and you'll be a part of the pack, and you won't know what's going on until you sit in there and you don't have any resources that are available to you because they took everything away. Right. And last but not least, what is one thing that you would like for everyone to know about your father, Eric Garner? Um, that he couldn't sing, but he liked <laughs> to sing. <laughs> what was his favorite song? Um, uh, well, surprisingly, uh, it was the KRS Gangsta Lean mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, Boyz II Men. So, because one day he was playing that song, and I was singing it, he was like, "What you know about that song?" I was like, "I actually know that song." He was like, <laughs> What you know about that song and that was that was that my mother's like oh here you go with this old r&b so it's like he was an old r&b kind of person i was like oh that's the music i like so we like the same kind of music so i would say music um was his thing and he was a giants fan um mm-hmm. giants everything he said are you ready for football no we don't <laughs> want to watch football <laughs> right right and i didn't know he was a boxer too uh, yes. So um, my mom said that he was a boxer um, and he used to he used to be boxing and playing with the boys and stuff. You know, I was not into that. Thing, those type of things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, play fighting and all that stuff. That was not my thing. Uh, I was into reading <laughs> mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But yeah, so he used to do stuff like that and um, cooking. He could he could he could cook. He could cook. He's buy some chicken. chicken mm. good. Nice. Nice. Well, I appreciate you. I think this is going to be such a um, an eye-opening um, conversation for the listeners. And I also think that the listeners are going to be inspired to find their own voice. Thank you. That's that's definitely the intention. And I appreciate it. Thank you for receiving it. Yes, I received it. To be received. Yeah. So if y'all have any questions, comments, concerns, I'm going to meet up with our guests. I can get these books from her because we live in the same area. So we're going to do a giveaway real soon. It's going to be autographed. So stay tuned for the details. I'm super excited about that. Thank you for doing that as well. And if y'all have any questions, comments, or concerns, please make sure to email me at hello at the phgpodcast.com. And until next time, everyone, later. Thank you. You're not going to say bye? Oh, bye. Thank you, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.